You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but for many, it is merely fiction. Join our conversation as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show, visit us online at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome, listener, to the podcast. This is the introductory episode in a what I hope will be a long and fruitful endeavor. Um, joining me today are Matt and Nathan Van Horn. Matt, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Matt Powell. I serve as the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Tupelo, Mississippi. I've been here for about five years. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. I serve as the pastor of First Baptist Church of Meridian, Mississippi, and I've been here for about a year and a half. I'm Gandalf. I am the director of media and technology at First Baptist Church, Matt's Church, and I've been here for about five years as well. So get started with Matt. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how this podcast came to be? Yeah, the podcast really is an extension of my table conversations with you, Gandalf, and my phone conversations with Nathan. Just because we live in town with each other, Gandalf and I can sit down and we can talk about a lot of things. And Nathan and I are able to talk about things over the phone. And I realized in both of you all, I had uh, kindred spirits, not just in an interest in the Bible, but in how the Bible fits together. And that's why I wanted this podcast to be. This podcast is not a devotional podcast. We're not trying to give sermons. We're not trying to give devotional thoughts or anything like that. All of that has its place. I just want people, and along with you guys, want people to see how the Bible fits together as a story, because the deeper you dig into that treasure chest, I think, like me and us, the more persuaded you become that it's true. And and Matt, I've, I've got to ask the question, if this is such a fruitful approach to the Bible, why are we not more accustomed to reading it that way? Well, I think there's probably historical reasons in our own life and then historical reasons in the church and also historical reasons in secular society that just, it depends on what you think the Bible is to begin with. We've talked about that the Bible is a book that can be a lot of different things. For example, there are some that look to the Bible to discover ancient scientific information. There are others that look to the Bible to discover a system of theology. There are others that look to the Bible as a piece of ancient history or a guide to modern archaeology as we're trying to dig up the ancient world. Uh, And there are others who just view the Bible liturgically. There's a lot of ways to read the Bible out there. And I think in my own tradition, the way that the Bible has been read is by reading it as stories, multiple, not a grand story a grand story that fits together from Genesis to Revelation, weaving this narrative throughout this book about God's desire to have a people and be in relationship with him. 
I would love to know something about, because Matt, I, you know, I'm obviously in broad agreement. We've talked about this many times. I would love to know for each of us, what has most impacted what you bring to this project? Why do we read the Bible the way that we read the Bible and the way that we're setting forth in this podcast? How did you arrive at reading, at wanting to read the Bible or thinking that the Bible is best read as a story? Well, I grew up in the Protestant Baptist environment. And for most of my early childhood, the Bible was presented to me as not a cohesive story, but piecemeal stories in the context of Sunday school lessons. And, you know, you don't have to get to be very old in a Baptist church before you've heard all the good ones like Jonah and Moses and, you know, King Solomon and and all this other stuff. But then as I got older and I started dipping my toe into more academic study and you start to see how the Bible is not just an anthology of separate stories, but it's a grand narrative that is telling a singular message over the course of many, many books and many authors and even different languages. And that's just not a a way that we approach the Bible typically. So I'm very interested to see how these conversations point to the Bible as a story. Yeah, for me, as growing up similarly to Gandalf, is I connected to the stories. And I must say, that's something that I still do to this day. For instance, when I'm trying to think of something about God, I don't fall back on fundamentals and propositional truths. I fall back on the stories that I've learned from the Bible. And as I've gotten older and had the privilege to study the Bible on a regular basis as a pastor and go to seminary to pursue higher education there, how the Bible fits together has only reinforced the importance of those individual stories by allowing me to see the overarching story, that this is not just, for instance, what God is doing in the life of Jacob or the life of David. This is what God is doing in his world. And because God's doing it in his world, and I'm a part of this world, that this is what God is doing in me too. So by discovering the grand narrative of the Bible, it is really benefited me personally as I'm able to, I guess, bring the Bible home to my own life. I ended up at much of the same place by a somewhat different route. So I grew up in church. My father was a pastor and professor throughout my childhood. Uh, I was, by all estimations, a Sunday school all-star. You know, I had my memory verses, memorizing Ten Commandments, the names of the apostles. I knew everything you would hope your kid knows when they go off to college. And so I went to college armed with all of my Sunday school knowledge in my freshman year. Uh, I made a friend who's a very intelligent guy, and he and I took several classes together like logic and philosophy of religion and some history courses. And the more that he studied these subjects, the more that he struggled to integrate the knowledge he was gaining in those classes with the way that he had been you know, raised to read the Bible. And at the end of our freshman year, he not only became atheistic, he became very anti-theistic. Uh, And he enjoyed deriding people of faith. And, you know, this podcast is really intended for people all over the spectrum. You may be listening to this uh, deeply committed and, you know, a regular church attender. You may be listening to this as as a complete skeptic or, like many people, you might be somewhere in between. I was just completely thrown off guard because suddenly my friend was asking all sorts of questions that my Sunday school answers were not really equipped to address. So I never lost my faith personally, but I was so humbled by the fresh realization of what I didn't know 
uh, and the Bible that had seemed so familiar in my childhood uh, now felt very foreign. But thank God, as, as I dug in, as I got into study, Matt, exactly like you, I found that these are not isolated stories, that these are all working together at such a deeper and more beautiful interconnected way. And after study, I find that the Bible that was familiar and then foreign and then became more familiar again, the Bible was more, not less, than I had previously imagined. Yeah, and another thing I think that spawned my interest in this subject, it seems to me that much of the rejection of the Bible that we hear about and we see in the lives of others or hear articulated on the internet, in my humble observation, as I listen to many of the objections, the objections are not objections built on taking the Bible on its own terms. Rather, the objections are built on caricatures of the Bible. So what I, what I think often happens, just to pick up on your thought, is we inherit, we not only inherit a Bible, we inherit a way of reading the Bible. And because of that, we often confuse or lump together this, this compendium of books, you know, these 66 books that we collectively call the book, the Bible. We often treat the Bible and our interpretation of the Bible as one in the same thing. And so a lot of times we we inherit not only again not only the Bible but ways of reading the Bible that may or may not be more and less productive. One of the things that you know has has really affected our approach is I think if you had no prehistory with the Bible, if you were just on this desert island and had no context whatsoever and uh, you picked up a Bible, well you may not know where to begin but it would quickly strike you that for all the different types of literature uh, that you find in the Bible, overwhelmingly the Bible is written as a story. The number one genre that you find in the Bible is narrative, right? And the more you study, you realize that even the parts of the Bible, uh, you know, whether they're songs or prophets or whatever, the parts of the Bible that are not story are themselves drawing on that story to make sense of the words that they're using. And so the more that you become saturated in that story, the more that you not only make sense of the big picture, the better that you're able to understand the individual pieces of it. The more that you see the forest, ironically, the more clearly you can define and appreciate the unique contributions of the different trees. That's a really good point, Nathan. Whenever whenever I try to approach one of my friends who's from a non-Christian background, so often I'm met with the brick wall of not what the Bible actually is on its face value, like Matt was saying, but with the trappings of what have gone into interpreting it or the trappings of the organizations and structures around the Bible. And very often, if you can even if you can get past that and you can get your non-biblical friends to who are, you know, not versed in the Bible to actually sit down and look at it at its face value, it's shocking how enlightening it is for them and how they what they thought the Bible said and how it was written turns out to not be correct at all. I think a lot of our perhaps uncomfortableness as a culture with the story of the Bible is not because it's so much about God, but it's because we are disconnected from its culture and its setting by 2,000 years at least, and then some parts even longer. And that is just foreign to us. So 
I think some of the objections is an objection based on our misunderstanding of ancient culture that I don't know if we would have those same objections if we lived during that time. Because I think yeah. would, the Bible would read very similarly to many other works at that time. Yeah, you know what's so interesting for me is when you get to what we call the New Testament, you know, you know, that that part of the Bible that that follows in the life and ministry of Jesus. When you get to the New Testament, it's so interesting because whether you're reading the stories or for example, if you're reading the book of Acts, the book of Acts uh, records for us a few of the sermons of the early church. So in Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen gives an extended speech. And in Acts chapter 13, Paul gives an extended speech. And what's interesting is they make appeals to some of those key individual stories. But in both instances, Acts 7 and Acts 13, two different you know speakers, they use those individual stories to weave a bigger story. It's almost like they're these dots in the Old Testament, and they appreciate the significance of the dot, but they think that there's something even more important in connecting those dots. Uh, And Matt, I know we've talked about this. It reminds me of that artist, I think his name is Thomas Pabot, several years ago. He set a a Guinness World Record uh, by making, I think, the most intricate connect-the-dot picture that had been done to that point. If memory serves, it was something like 6,239 dots. Now, I don't know if you've ever stared at a piece of paper with 6,239 dots on it, but when those dots are unconnected, I don't care how artistic it could be, you're looking at a hot mess. But if you painstakingly do the work of intricately connecting all 6,239 dots, what looked like a mess becomes a masterpiece because you discover that it's been a picture of the Mona Lisa the whole time. And I think that's what we're after to do with the Bible. Yes, the dots are beautiful and the dots are important, uh, but sometimes you can understand more of the significant of each dot once you've connected it and see the masterpiece of the whole. So you're talking about the concept of connecting the dots, and there's a literary term for that, and it's called Chekhov's gun, and it's a trope. Do you guys ever go to tvtropes.com? I do. Yeah, it's it's not a good thing. I don't want my church members to know that, though, because I don't want them to anticipate my punchlines. <laughs> That's right. It's going to reveal all your secrets. But anyway, Chekhov's gun is the convention in storytelling where the author draws your attention to something with the knowledge that it's going to be used later. And I'm thinking about how in Men in Black, where they, for a joke, they give Will Smith's character a teeny tiny little gun. And then make fun of the fact that he's the new guy who gets the small gun. And then later, that gun turns out to be ultra incredibly powerful and is able to beat the bad guy. But the Bible is filled with those kind of things, too. Isn't it called the the noisy cricket? Yes, that's right. The noisy (laughs) cricket. And just like the noisy cricket, there are things in the Bible where if you aren't looking at it as a whole, their importance may not be apparent. Yeah, so just, just to give an example, one that comes to my mind is the book of Daniel. And people say all things about the book of Daniel, but I'll never forget the first time that one of these checkoff gun moments in the book of Daniel clicked for me. Because you're reading about some Jewish guys, uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as we know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are deported from their homeland, Judea and Jerusalem, to go to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed their home city, the temple, and, and the palace there eventually. But they're taken to Babylon. And the first thing that they have to decide is how will they represent their Jewish God 
in a context that worships not one god, but many gods, right? And so right after they get to Babylon, what's the first thing that's on, on the table, literally and figuratively? They're invited to eat from the king's table. And they make this decision not to. And and man, if, if I'm just reading this, okay, I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is a story about cultural appropriation. But by the very next chapter, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, two chapters later, Nebuchadnezzar is setting up a statue of himself to be worshipped as a god. And suddenly I'm like, okay, so we're going very quickly from eating to worship. And I'm like, man, why, why does that feel familiar? It's a whole lot like the Garden of Eden, right? What's their first temptation? Are you going to eat of the thing that God told you, the God that you worship told you about, or are you going to eat this other meal instead? And so suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, I can make more sense out of what's going on in Daniel if I'll if I'll look at it through the lens of something very important that happened in another context where a meal was involved. And then, man, pretty soon you're, you're springboarding to the Exodus. The night before God sets these people uh, free from slavery, what do they do? He has them gather around the table and symbolize their redemption by doing what? Take Taking a meal. Oh, and by the way, it's the same meal that Jesus eats with his disciples the night that he's handed over, betrayed, uh, to die for the sins of the world on the cross. Again, if you if you look at Genesis and Daniel and, and the Gospels and, and Exodus, th- these are all sections of the Bible that are dealing with different things. And yet, you can make more sense of each part by paying attention to the gun hanging over the fireplace, as, as Gandalf was saying. You, you know, Nathan, you're kind of blowing my mind here because before talking with you about this, I never made the connections between the worship and eating imagery found throughout the Bible. Oh, there, there's a lot. There's a lot more than those examples. Well, I know you know them because you're you're like the scholar of our group. In, in most stories, there are a huge cast of characters, and I hope that in this podcast, we're bringing together a variety of characters because I, Nathan, in my mind, is like the scholar of our group. Like, aren't aren't you a doctor? I did. So I, I did do. Um, I I went to Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi, for my undergrad work, and then I did go to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary in New Orleans. Go Saints. And go Tigers. LSU is close enough. I went to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and I did a, an MA in Biblical Studies there, and then a, ultimately a PhD uh, in uh, New Testament Studies and Greek. Um, yeah, but the, at, the big, end, big brain on this guy. At the end of the day, uh, at least a big head. We don't know about the brain or how well it works, but I, you know, so yeah, someone had to be the token Bible nerd. So happy, happy to be that guy. Yeah, the, the backbone of the podcast. Hardly. Um, well, I, yeah. So let's speak to that. We're, we're you know, so we're, we've got a podcast that's about this overarching story of the Bible that unites the various stories. Why is why why did we think it's important to rather than have just one of us talk about that? Why is a variety of perspectives? You know, we we've called me the Bible nerd. What perspectives do y'all bring to this project? Well, my context is similar to Nathan's. I've not done postgraduate work. But I do have a Master's of Divinity degree from the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Also, I graduated with an undergraduate degree, like Nathan, from Mississippi College. As a pastor, I'm all about wanting to expose people to the Bible. And I think part of our problem and the reason this happens of thinking the Bible, thinking of the Bible in this disconnected sense rather than this grand narrative is how we read the Bible Uh, Western culture that we all live in is hyper-individualistic. For instance, when you read the Bible, you can pull it up on your app. 
You can open your leather-bound copy. You can pull it up on the internet, whatever it is you want to do. But typically, you, when you, you can think turn of, in your Bible or turn on your Bible. But, I stole that from someone else, shamelessly. Uh, yeah, so good. So good. I heard a guy say, uh, it's not the uh, page of God, it's the Word of God, for those who want to argue that the page is somewhat better. I think one of the things that separates us from the ancient people is I don't think ancient people, by and large, would have understood having a personal copy of the words of God. That just would not have happened. Scrolls were extremely expensive. Not everyone could read, even though that, you know, ancient Israel did have a high literacy rate. The way you read the Bible... Go ahead. Yeah, this the the personal copy, like you mentioned, is is really only a this this is mind blowing to me. Is really only a product of the last two or three generations. Even two or three generations ago, you would have. This is why you have some of those big Bibles in churches, or you might have a family Bible, but you you certainly didn't have nine copies where each member of the family had you know more than one translation of the Bible and just you know read if they were going to read whichever one they wanted, however they wanted. It was it was a community activity. So we have a family Bible that goes back two hundred years. That's been in our family for two hundred years, and it's one of those. Th- things. The why do people have those? It's because not everybody had a bunch of Bibles. Now, being a pastor, in fact, I recently redid my personal library at home, and I had to have two shelves for all of my Bibles. In fact, I was talking to my wife, and we were joking about it. I said, you know, if one goes to heaven based on the number of Bibles in their personal possession, I am so covered. Like, I am so good, because I have a ton of Bibles. But that is a product of our time and place. In the ancient world, the way you would have read the Bible would have been going to synagogue, going and sitting in the presence of someone who would read it to you, or gathering with the church to hear the Bible read and taught. And what happens in the setting is the Bible becomes shared orally as opposed to being read and depending on the written form. So when you're reading the Bible, it's in a sense stimulating discussion by your very notion of how we read the Bible. It's a group project to read and study the Bible. And so a lot of these details, like Nathan just talking about Daniel, they may not occur to you, but they're going to occur to somebody in the group. And as as a community, you learn the story of the Bible you learn to point those things out to each other and someone and someone else makes a connection that someone else missed and the different perspectives just continue to flesh out the story more and more absolutely and that's what we want this podcast to be is that we all come from different backgrounds we have different forms of expertise but we all share a deep love of the bible and i have learned in my life as a pastor, I've learned from people things about the Bible who are less educated than I am. I've learned from people who are more educated than I am. Frankly, there's things I've learned about the Bible from people who don't even believe the Bible as I do. So our learning of the Bible can come from a variety of different places. And the biggest thing is actually getting into the text. And that's what this podcast is is for. We're not giving you devotional thoughts. We're not giving you another sermon. Those are important, and 
we should be a part of churches where that takes place. But this is to help you see the masterpiece that is called the Bible. And and that's where I want to ask Gandalf to, to, to jump into this conversation, because at the end of the day, this is called the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. Gandalf, one of the reasons I'm so glad you're a part of this is that Matt and I primarily serve as pastors. Um, so we spend a disproportionate amount of our time with people who already believe the Bible and are interested uh, in how the dots connect for a very different reason. Uh, Gandalf, give us a little bit about your background and, and how people with whom you are in dialogue uh, often approach the Bible. And how does this project speak to the person uh, who does not believe? How does this project serve the person who's skeptical of the Bible? I mean, for, first of all, I'm so glad you guys are here because my background is the complete polar opposite of you two. I have very little academic training. I am a proud college dropout. I did a little bit of seminary, but not enough to earn any kind of degree or anything. And I am a man of refined culture, meaning that I like things like video games and manga and anime <laughs> and that sort of stuff. And all of my friends like that too. And when I talk about the Bible with my friends, I can't help but feel that we are closer to those people standing and listening at the synagogue uneducated than maybe even people who sit in the pew on Sunday morning who have more of a concrete background. Now, I grew up in the church just like Matt and Nathan did, but I don't have the very deep, very academic, well-thought-out biblical education that you guys do. So I'm very interested to see how these perspectives can coalesce together to just really share the narrative of the Bible. Yeah, so so Gandalf, for you, a weekly basis, I would guess this is true of Matt. This is certainly true of me. I teach the Bible multiple times a week. Uh, I preach from the Bible multiple times a week. I even do devotional videos. What's so interesting is that my primary audiences for that are people who already believe. So I'm not having to establish the Bible as true. I would guess that that's a very different context for you. Yes, uh, for me, the my quote-unquote students are all people who are do not have church backgrounds and do not immediately accept the Bible or the supernatural as true. So how, so, how would they approach the Bible then? In, in one word, it's fiction, right? If, if you don't believe the Bible, it's tempting to approach it as fiction. And so not just not just fiction, but mere fiction, mere fiction. Uh, and so one of the things I love, I, I like to tell people, I try to be an equal opportunity offender. Certainly, we don't presume that we're entirely correct in our positions. And I'm always open to being corrected by what the Bible says rather than what I say about the Bible. But I think it's possible on the believing end and the unbelieving end, the devout end and the skeptical end, it's possible for very different reasons to read the Bible incorrectly. To one, the Bible can become unfamiliar. To, to the other, it can become too familiar. And I'm convinced in my soul that as we explore the Bible, not just as stories, not just as a system of theology, as we explore the Bible as a story, singular, I think it not only becomes more believable to the person who regards himself as a skeptic, I think ironically it becomes also more beautiful to the person who already believes. I think that's what we're after. To the person who looks at the Bible and, and already believes, I think you will find that these various books are so much more meaningful when you read them as one book. And to the person who regards the Bible as mere fiction, I think if you give it an honest reading as a story, you will, you will have to admit 
That is so much better than fiction. Yes. And to my dudes right now, I know you're listening. I would urge you stick with this. And I promise you're going to see that there's going to be some worthwhile content coming out of it. Well, guys, I think this has started in a great place. Hopefully, as Gandalf said at the beginning of this, this is going to be a long and fruitful journey. So stick with us on this. And as next time we come back together, we're going to look right there at the beginning, Genesis 1. And we want you to be a part of the conversation with us as we hash it out and seek to uncover the story that's better than fiction. We'll see you next time. See you guys. Shalom. You have been listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. If you like what you have just heard and want to support the show, leave a like, follow, or a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening. If you have questions or feedback, contact us at betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com.